This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome. It's UAP time. It's Stephen Diener over here, Karen Curtis over there. Episode 33 of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. Thank you for joining us if it's your first time. Well, my gosh, what an introduction this is going to be as we talk about lost lands and their alien civilization history. So mm. it's uh, going to be... Or are they lost? Or are they lost? Maybe they're still hidden. Maybe oh. there's some clues out there. We're going to go to it all today. Or they may reappear. They might reappear, which is uh, also something we'll get into. It's very intriguing. It's very mysterious. It might be complete garbage. But that's what we're all here for, is to present you with the story. You can make up your own mind. I find it very, very fascinating, and I think you're going to as well. Me too. It's <sighs> We're going to blow your socks off. Yes. You know, speaking of lost lands and stuff reappearing... Our little factoid to start us off? Yes, please. Kick us off here, Karen. I think this is so cool. So archaeologists, they're building near the London Bridge in England, right? Mm-hmm. And they unearthed a 2,000-year-old Roman mosaic. It's beautiful. Wow. Extremely intricate. It was like the floor of a dining or living room. And the Museum of London Archaeology discovered it, and they believe it was part of a dining room close to the London Bridge. Sounds like my dining room. It does. You yeah. mu- everyone must have a mosaic yes. in their dining room. Yes. <laughs> I mean, don't you watch HGTV? Of course. So it's believed to date back to the late second or third century, so 2,000 years old. And it's similar to a mosaic found in Germany, so they think that it's the same traveling artist that did both. Oh, wow. They're like, hey, I got a job for you over here in London. You want to <laughs> you want to put your little pebbles together here? So the museum's director says it will likely go on public display. I don't know how that works. Do they preserve it right there in the ground? How, how do you lift it out of there and re- reassemble it? I'm not know. sure. But uh, it's that's, that is interesting, though, and that does kind of fit the motif here yeah. today, the theme of lost lands. And hopefully you can sit back and relax and take your mind off of the world's troubles for a little while, and we can do that with you because... Uh, can I, you know what, before before we make you forget about the world's troubles, can I give you a little quote first? Yes. From Albert Einstein? Please. Uh, first I will depress you, and then we'll go into distracting you. So Albert Einstein had a quote that I will never forget. He said, I know not the weapons that will be used in World War III, <gasps> but I know that in World War IV, the weapons will be sticks and stones. Oh, boy. Think about that for a minute. And now we'll speed things up here with... Yeah, yeah we're good. speaking to you as uh, Ukraine in, as uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. Yeah, so last it's, night, uh, very scary. Hopefully, everyone is going to be fine. Maybe things will get better. That would be nice. Um, but in the meantime, sit back and relax, and we'll 
distract you a little bit with uh, some UAP action here today. Follow along, of course, everything that we're going to talk about is going to be on the blog at 850WFTL.com. We'll have some fun here together for the next half hour or so and go over the mysteries of Lost Lands and how it all connects to the cosmos. Yeah, so uh, this is not like my doll, it's Nan Madal. Nan Madal. Non Madal. So that's where we're going to start here. Nan Madal, Non Madal, Tomato, Tomato, depends on how you want to pronounce it. But that's where we're going to start here today. So just a little background first on our on our uh, first lost land. It's another archaeological site. It is, like the one you were just talking about. And it's basically uh, kind of adjacent to the eastern shore. So going to get a little geographical here today, so try to follow along. But it's put in the picture Micronesia in, in the middle of the Pacific. Basically in the middle of nowhere. Yes. Okay, in the middle of the Pacific. Off the island of Pompeii. Not Pompeii, like the volcanoes near uh, Italy, but Pompeii. In the Federated States of Micronesia, like you were just saying, Karen, in the Western Pacific Ocean. So it was supposedly built sometime around 1,000 years ago. Now, the reason why they don't know is because the city was constructed in a lagoon, and it consists of a series of small artificial islands, which are linked by a network of canals consisting of... Mm-hmm. megalithic structures. Ooh. So it's hard for them to tell how old it is exactly because it is very difficult, according to the scientists and the experts, to carbon date stone. And for that reason, it's uh, they don't have an exact date of how old this is. So they say just around, somewhere around a thousand years old. Okay. Now the original name, and I found this intriguing, the original name of Nanmadal was Sun Nanleng, which meant Reef of Heaven. Ooh. Heaven, you like say, it. huh? Yeah. So a- otherworldly. It's like a ruined city. It's one of today's great archaeolo- uh, archaeological enigmas. Oh, I like enigmas. And it's the eighth wonder of the world. That's what some refer to it as. And, of course, it gets the Atlantis moniker. Now, we're not going to go really deep into Atlantis here today. Quite frankly, everybody talks about Atlantis. And even we have spoken about Atlantis before in connection with Edgar Casey mm-hmm. and our Edgar Casey series that we did, uh, what, I guess a, a couple months ago. So not really going to Atlantis today. We're going to give you some other things that you may have never heard of before, like non-medal so and i think micronesia keeps it pretty buttoned up because they think it's haunted yeah there's some weird speculation about non-medal that uh well we'll give you a little background here yeah i mean could there be an alien connection Mm. i mean we are doing a podcast called uab the site of non-medal on the island of pompeii in micronesia is one of the strangest places on the planet it's an 11 square mile complex composed of over 250 million tons of basalt logs are floating on a submerged coral reef. They're 18 feet long, four feet in diameter, and are stacked 40 feet up in the air. Why did they do this, and how did they do this? Nanmadal is one of these disappeared civilizations. It's fascinatingly interesting, and yet it also seems that it might have been built on earlier civilizations that are lost in time. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah. so... Thanks to our friends there at Ancient Aliens. Yes, as always, because they, they, we were normally in sync with some of the things that they talk about, and we can find some clips to help paint the picture for you. Um, but you hear it there. How was this done? How did they do it? Was there some type of electromagnetic anomaly? So basalt, this? basalt rocks are basically lava that has turned into stone. Kind of, yeah. Okay. And they're saying they're floating on a reef, coral reef. And they think that there was another civilization underneath it. Yeah, there's actually been studies, divers that have gone down and found these basalt stone structures underneath, under the water. 
Yeah. So it kind of lends to the theory that this may have been built on top of an even older civilization. But how did they do it? I mean, the rocks are like lifted up somehow. They could not have... Here, Here's one theory that there's a lot of electromagnetic energy there and it could be an anomaly. There's a strong magnetic field in every single one of the 250 million tons of basalt there. You can take a compass and run it along these basalt blocks and your compass will just spin as you move it along the blocks. Also, it's thought that the site itself is a special power spot and an energy vortex. And that's why Namadal is built there. And this legendary sunken city called Canamueso as well. The local population also reports many, many sightings of orbs and lights that have been seen hovering around Nan Madal. Is it because of the magnetic spectrum of Earth? And you have to wonder if through magnetism the stones were transported in the first place, because they were transported through the air. Aha! So there's your little clue there from Giorgio Tsoukalos from uh, Ancient Aliens. Transported through the air. So there's a lot to unwrap there as far as the magnetism, which we'll get into in a minute. But the how, right? How was this stuff built? And we have the picture up on 850WFTL.com. Search on the podcast section there. You'll see UAP. Click on that. That'll take you to our UAP blog page. And that will have all of our episodes. You can catch up on anything there if you want to take a look at all the visuals from past episodes because one of the visuals we're going to have up there for this one is Nanmadal itself. So Yeah, we have photographic evidence that's to right. back up. It's hard to imagine. I mean, we can tell you that it's these giant you know, stone structures, and you just take our word for that, but you can take a look at the picture as well to get a, you know, a better picture, so to say, of why it's so mystifying as to how these things were moved around during ancient civilization. Which Maybe is a, you can figure out how they got there. Look, I mean, it's a question we ask all the time, right, with Stonehenge or with the pyramids. I mean, with the question's always asked, how was it done? Gobekli so, Tepe. I mean, there's a bunch of them. Puma Punku. Puma I mean, Punku. All these things. So, uh. now... One legend, according to the Pompeian legend, for the locals, Namadal was constructed by giants who were twin sorcerers. Uh, now, we just talked about giants a few weeks ago, didn't we? Yes, we did. The nef- nef- the, the Nephilim. Nephilim yes. So maybe these guys were Nephilim. I don't know. But <laughs> they're giant twin sorcerers, according to the local legend. I'm going to try to say their names. Yes, good luck. Olisipa and Olisopa. From the mythical western Katu. Now, the brothers arrived in a large canoe, according to legend. They either say canoe or some type of flying vehicle, uh-huh. uh, you know, apparatus, whatever, the way the legend goes. And they were seeking a place to build an altar so that they could worship their god of agriculture. Yeah, because they say there's a lot of, what, stuff on <laughs> animals? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on there. The two brothers successfully built an altar where they performed their rituals. In the legend, these brothers levitated the huge <gasps> stones uh-huh. with aid of a flying dragon. There you go. So what is the flying dragon? Was it something else that was being mistaken by the locals that was passed down because of their lack of understanding of what they were actually seeing? Mm-hmm. Maybe it was a dragon. Maybe dragons are real. I don't know. Or was it something that they were flying in mm-hmm. and the only way they could describe it was they were flying in a dragon? Because the giant stones, like we've mentioned, do have mysterious magnetic properties. So were they using some type of you know, anti-gravity magnetic technology that we still don't have today, any way that we know of, 
to be able to move these giant basalt stones around and place them in perfect position to build their giant structures. They're 18 Hello. feet long, four feet wide. I mean, come on. These things are huge. It's said that you could, we, we were just talking about, you could take the compass there. If you stood there with a the, with the compass, it would just spin around out of control. So did they know something that we didn't? Did they know that possibly there was even some type of vortex? Because mm-hmm. remember, we've talked about these, these uh, ley lines and things like that, where some of these highly charged sites are even just in the United States and in those places you have these vortexes and vortex when you say the word it sounds mysterious like you're going to go through a portal but literally a vortex is just some type of highly charged magnetic area there's a place in Oregon out in the forest where yes. it's it's a tourist trap actually maybe a gateway but it even Asheville's considered to be highly psychic yeah kind of like a lot of uh, energies there and it could be, and it could be a gateway. I mean, maybe that's why they used it. Maybe these, you know, giant brothers back in the ancient times knew the magnetic properties, just like in the case of the pyramids, where we know about having these weird properties, and why it was built on these specific sites in the middle of the ocean, right, on a mysterious island. So, did they use it as a gateway because of the special properties? So, it, it makes you wonder, Karen. Yeah, it does. There's a lot of questions surrounding Nanmadol that are still unanswered today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film. If only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts especially when you connect it to another ancient uh, legend of a lost world. Now, this is where There's things get a little two crazy. Of them, right? Well, it goes by two different names because some people say that it actually connects to or it could be part of a bigger picture. It could have been part of the lost continents of Mu, of Mu and Mu, 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 <laughs> Mu, or Lumeria. Lumeria. Now, before we go any further, it's important to mention that they're actually the same thing. Okay. It's just they're referred to as different names of either Mu or Lumeria. Lumeria, you see where the Mu comes <gasps> Got from. Got it. So the first mention, just to give you a little background here, they're thinking, what the heck is Mu and Lumeria? So here's what we're talking about. It appeared in the works of a British-American antiquarian. Oh. 
back in uh and it was basically Vlaglion. it's french yeah i know you studied french so you can say his name <laughs> if you like i'm not gonna try Belgion. that, that Blongion. so he was in basically in the mid 1800s and after his investigations in the mayan ruins a lot of mysterious things with the mayans as we know about where'd they go oh boy i don't know he claimed that they had translated the first copies of what was called the popol vuh which was the sacred book of the Kichi people from the ancient Mayans. Now, he claims that the civilization of the Yucatan over there was older than those of Greece and Egypt. Mm -hmm. And it told the story of an even older continent, which would be Mu or Lumeria, depending on what you want to call it. So for historical context, the modern idea of Mu was first popularized, popularized by a former soldier. His name was James Churchward, okay? Now, why is he important? Because he claimed, Karen, to have been stationed in India. And he claims that while he was there, he gained knowledge from an old priest who he became friends with, a Hindu priest who claimed that he had all this ancient knowledge and these ancient tablets, which he eventually shared with Church Ward and told him how to decipher the language. He told him that basically... This is what this symbol means, and that ah. symbol taught him the language. Wow. And so it wasn't like Sanskrit or something. It was a completely different language. It's kind of like hieroglyphics. Okay. Yeah. So, and Church Ward claims that he spent years there uh, learning the language and perfecting it to the point where he was able to decipher this lost stone tablet, which supposedly belonged to the people of Mew. Okay. And he came out with a book called The Lost, the Lost Continent of Mew, The Motherland of Man, ah. in 1926, where he went uh, kind of in-depth with all that. But according to his story, like we said, he, bef- he bef- uh, befriended this priest who showed him these stone tablets. And then after studying it, going through the language, he was able to, to decipher that it said, The place where man first appeared, Mew. Ah. Now, he gave a vivid description of Mew as the home of an advanced civilization. Now, does that sound familiar? Yes. We talk about Atlantis and things like that. We always talk about these advanced civilizations that were lost to time. In this case, the advanced civilization was called Nikal. I mean, who knows? We we just keep building on top of other civilizations that right. fell. You know, once their gas prices went way too high and <laughs> they had infrastructure problems and, and inflation, they collapsed and then they just built new New Mew. Civilizations on top of them. And so in this case, it was the Nicole that, you know, had this first civilization, I guess you could say this advanced civilization, and they flourished between, get this, 50,000 to 12,000 years ago. Yep. And Church Ward claimed that the landmass of Mew was located in the Pacific Ocean. Some of these civilizations are like more developed than the ones that get built on top of them. Correct. On the earth. Which is intriguing because if you go back, not to get too far back into previous episodes, but if you think back to our Edgar Casey series, he talked about the civilizations of Atlantis yeah. being highly civilized, be, having this higher connectivity to a higher energy within the universe, that being of God and just the overall spirituality of the universe and the energy that fills it. So... He says that's the knowledge that they were connected to. Right. And if you connect that even further, Karen, not to go down the rabbit hole here, but to our good old friend Valiant Thor, who says that they are connected on a higher plane to that of God and to the energy of the universe. And that's what they tried to teach us when he came here in the 60s. Oh, no. And they were like, no, we're good. <laughs> we'll, but, we'll, we'll stay primitive, thanks. You know, Yeah, you don't want to be more technologically advanced and more, you know better people right connected to a higher power but supposedly 
this landmass in the Pacific Ocean, which again, which is why they think that Namadol may have been part of this lost continent, because we just said Namadol is, is in there, it is, it's still there, um, out there in the middle of the you know Pacific Ocean. It's a great honeymoon locale. Oh yes, absolutely. It's uh, now it was huge supposedly according to to Church Ward. It was five thousand miles from east to west. Wow. And over three thousand miles from north to south. So just equate it's that bigger than the United States. It's bigger because equate that to the United States. Yeah. It's three thousand miles east to west. Yeah. So you're talking about something that's that's bigger. Now and it's also larger than South America. Ah. Now in the end, it was of course destroyed by a great and sudden cataclysm, which you know they always are. It happens. And it's also said that this is where the <gasps> Garden of Eden was. Oh, so they had apple trees. They did, and it's also, um, <laughs> and we'll also talk about the people who live there. But before we get into that, because this is going to get a little kooky here in a second about. When you hear about a, a 19th century author who described the people who lived in Mew, um, it's just interesting how you always hear about these lost lands, and somehow, some way, the Garden of Eden always ends up coming up because they talk about the Garden of Eden in Atlantis too. So where was it? <laughs> I thought it was in Iraq, and they've talked about that too in Mesopotamia. Yeah, Mesopotamia. So well, anyway, uh, here we go. Uh, According to this one late 19th century author, there were very strange beings, almost alien-like there, in Mew. Over the years, we've had several authors write about the lost continent. Madame Blavatsky of the 19th century, for example, describes Lemurians as the third race. The Atlanteans would be the fourth race, and the fifth is our own. She also describes them as having four arms and an eye on the back of the head for psychic vision. What? They only used telepathy to speak, and they lived in caves. W. Scott Elliott also gives a similar description of the Lemurians, stating that they had an eye on the back of the head. What? A flat face with no forehead. Oh. Brown skin. Notice I said brown skin. Wide-gapped eyes stood about 12 to 15 feet tall. I dated a guy like that. Again with the giants. I'm assuming by their description that Lemuria was the land of the giants or Nephilim. Aha! <laughs> Nephilim. <laughs> so again, I mean, you heard that mysterious man there say again with the giants. I'm not sure why the brown skin would be any type of uh, specific connection. Maybe I'm not really sure, but what he was getting at there. But it is interesting when you talk about the giants. And so you kind of have two contradicting accounts here, Karen. You yeah. have an account from James Churchward who says it was this highly advanced civilization. And then you have the account from the 19th century author who says they were these 12 to 15 foot giants with an eye in the back of their head and uh, four arms arms and lived in caves. (laughs) And no forehead. So were they living in caves or were they highly advanced or were they a little bit of both? I don't know. It's a little confusing. But we actually have a picture up of what those four armed beings look like up on our UAP blog and 850WFTL.com. It's kind of freaky. It almost sounds like the being that those girls in Brazil saw that did that didn't sweat or was sweating a lot. Yeah, yeah, you're right, a little bit. And it's but again, it begs the question, who were those beings? Yeah. If there's any credence to that uh testimony, why were those that's not human. No. Like, what the heck is that? What was living on this lost land of Mew? Were they aliens? I mean, was this a land of aliens? Was it, or was it giants? Which we've talked about before. We've we've talked about the Nephilim, you know, that's mentioned in the Bible. Was this part of a biblical land that the Nephilim were inhabiting? 
I mean, look, they're gone, so maybe they were destroyed when, when Mew was destroyed, if it was even real to begin with. So you're saying Adam and Eve had four arms and no foreheads? I hope not. Yes, if they were made in the image of God, then we're in trouble. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm not really sure there. no belly buttons. Oh, no. But is um well, it does kind of beg the question of how everything just kind of comes together there, doesn't it? Yes. It always connects somehow, some way. The dots connect. That's what gets me about what so we cool. do. You yeah. know, we come up with all these different subjects every week, and no matter what. There's a thread connecting always, it all. Always. Like, how is that? I don't know. Does that mean that there's some type of truth to these stories because there is a thread? So interesting. You know, you talk about, we've never talked about the land of Mew before. No. But then it, guess what? It ends up connecting to the Nephilim and the giants and to some type of alien-like creatures, which connected to the Pacific Ocean, which connected to Nanmadal, which connected to magnetism and aliens, which connect all these, to the pyramids and ancient civilizations. It's just... Mind-boggling. It is mind-boggling. I'm sorry to go so deep there, but... That's all right. It's just, it, it boggles my mind. You were just connecting the dots. I was. It boggles my mind how the dots connect over time, over centuries, over all these stories. So maybe some, maybe there's something to these things. There may be. And there's another place, too. Well, yes. Speaking about uh, connecting the dots, our final lost land for today is High Brazil. That's H-Y-B-R-A-S-I-L. Yes. So it's not in Brazil. It's not some high place in Brazil. Right. And it's not like we're saying, hi, Brazil. <laughs> and if you're listening in Brazil, hello. Shout out to Brazil. But... That's that's not what we're saying. The land is actually called High Brazil, and you just spelled it out there, Karen. And it's actually a mythical island that's said to lie around 200 miles off the west coast of Ireland. Right. So it's like a very round. Yeah. Very perfectly spherical. It is, and or so they say it was anyway. And it's appeared on maps throughout throughout time. It appears and it disappears. Well, we have a little bit. Uh, it's eluded many explorers and, and many uh, people who have tried to find it. We have a little more information here on yeah. High Brazil. So, you know, it was discovered like in the 1300s. Renaissance explorers found it uh, and they wrote about it and they mapped out the island. And then in the 1400s, somebody else stumbled on it. And then in the 1600s, this Irish guy finds High Brazil. And that's when things get really weird. And in 1674, Captain John Nisbet of Ireland reportedly brought back silver and gold from the island that he claimed to have received from an old, mysterious man. Strangely, he and his men also said that High Brazil was inhabited by what they called giant black rabbits. Other explorers of the time returned from the island with similarly bizarre stories and accounts of beautiful, glowing people. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you have this mythical island that nobody can find because, just a little background on that, it's so hard to find because according to the legend, it only appears once every seven years. Oh. And then it's said to be covered in dense fog or even made to be invisible after mm. all that. But that hasn't stopped those explorers from trying to find it and even coming across, I guess, people or beings, giant black rabbits or beautiful lit up people. Yeah, from luminaries. Being there, which is very interesting because this will connect. We will connect more dots here in Go just a minute. Ask <laughs> da, 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 da. The white rabbit. Uh-huh. That's right. Yes, Jefferson Airplane. Yeah. But interesting, interesting, interestingly enough, if I can speak. Irish folklore says that High Brazil is where the gods lived uh. and had a luxurious lifestyle. It was even written about this uh, by an Irish historian 
over 300 years ago, saying that uh, this is where the gods lived. Well, since then, uh, you know, it hasn't been seen since 1872. Okay. Right. And then an author named T.J. Westrup came across it only to see it and then it vanished right before his eyes again. According to legend, the mysterious land was last seen in 1872 by author T.J. Westrop and his crew, who saw the island appear and then vanish. If high Brazil is an actual land, very possibly it could be that at one time on planet Earth there was a superior technology, a civilization that had progress that far surpassed even our own today. And these people originated from the stars. They are the people that uh, the human race descended from. And uh, locations such as High Brazil is this homeland of these creatures. Well then. See? Another thread. (laughs) How about that? Threads everywhere. Mm. I hope you can keep track of the threads. If you can't, you can always go back and listen to past episodes so you know what the heck we're talking about. And buy a loom. Because it really does all connect. It does. And to be honest, we don't try to do that. No. We, 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 we try to find actually, we actively try to go with different subjects because we don't want to make it repetitive. We don't want to talk about the same thing every episode. It just so happens that just as happens. we investigate something new, it ends up connecting to something that we spoke about. Which is incredible. It is. Because that's almost, I've said this before, but it's almost like a corroborating evidence type of thing. You know, you can connect the dots here and there, but these dots I'm about to connect are going to blow your mind here in a second. Yeah, what, the one last piece of the puzzle. Oh, we're going to get to that last piece of the puzzle. But what if there was proof of this land? Okay. Okay. High Brazil? Yes. What if there was proof of High Brazil? Because again, it's you know a bit written about. It's it was on maps by Renaissance explorers. They mapped it out. So either they're making it up, or they're going by word of mouth, or they were there and they mapped it. But why isn't it there now? Does it really appear and disappear every seven years? It sounds like a movie. Some of this stuff has really sounded like theatrical today. But what if all these wild stories and and mystical lost lands that we've covered here today? What if this one could possibly be verified somehow? Ooh, uh, do tell. Well, the last piece of the puzzle, Karen, goes back to, again, connecting the dots to previous episodes and stories, to Jim Penniston. Now, who was that? If you don't remember, he was one of the American soldiers who were stationed in England back in on December 26, 1980, when the Rendlesham Forest incident took place, one of the most famous UFO stories of all time, which we did an episode on way early in our series, I think like episode two or three. And his, again, you know, I won't go into the whole story of Rendlesham Forest, but basically it was him and John Burroughs. They saw this strange light. They went out into the forest. Um, they saw the craft land. Jim Penniston touched the craft. It blacked out. They had lost time. Uh, it was investigated by their colonel, their superior, who there was a recording of him saying, what are these weird lights? It's all there in the past episode if you want to listen to it. Like I said, like episode two or three. But Jim Penniston went on his life, went on through his life. After he touched the craft, he had this, these, these, according to his accounts, okay, make what of it what you want. But according to his account, he had this like vision, if you will, of all these numbers in his mind. A binary code. He didn't know it was that. Ah. Because, again, this is the 80s. So what he did was he took his notebook and wrote out about 13 pages worth of zeros and ones. Okay. 
And finally, once he got rid of it, then he was able to, you know, not think about it anymore because he wrote oh, so it all once down. once he wrote it down, it got out of his head. Exactly. It's almost like it was implanted. It was almost like it was downloaded and it was just into his brain. like a tape going over and over. Exactly. Got it. So once he got rid of it, it would, he got it got out of his head, okay? It was telepathically transmitted. Correct. So, according to his account anyway. Now, this, this claim and these zeros and ones were not investigated until about 10 to 15 years later when there was a documentary being done. And then the producers were like, hey, let's take a look at your book. Oh, what's all these zeros and ones? We can have our uh, you know, Matrix guy here decipher this because they said this is binary code. Oh, so they had Keanu Reeves do it. Exactly. He came in. They said, this is binary code. We can have somebody decipher this. So here's where it all starts to connect, okay? The first half of this message, because there actually was a message. Oh. Once they deciphered all these zeros and ones, wow. it came out to an actual message with coordinates. Oh, my gosh. And words. Oh, my gosh. So the first part of the message read, exploration of humanity. <gasps> what? Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me? I have goosebumps. And then it gave, I know, I'm telling you. And then it gave this whole long set of coordinates somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Starting with 666. 666-8100, which was very odd. Um, and then it continued where it said, continuous for planetary advan. And they think that it meant to say advancement. Uh-huh. Um, and, but then it goes on. It gave more coordinates where it's... Ex- it's going to get way too wordy and numbery because I could say one one We'll north. put the coordinates up but at the website. Yeah, we'll put it up there and you can see it. But basically, it gave a whole set of coordinates where I can tell you um, where it, it went to. It went to Belize. It went to Sedona, Arizona, hmm. which Arizona is said to be Another a hot one. spot. Yep. Right? We talked about hot spots last week. It went to the Giza Desert in Egypt, these coordinates. Just outside of Nazca, Peru. Hello, the Nazca lines. Yep. What? It went to... So interesting. Uh, China, interestingly enough. And then it went to the Temple of Apollo in Greece. Oh. Okay, so you talk about ancient gods. Just Amazing. Just like the Irish folklore says it was... High Brazil was a land of the gods. And these right? are exact coordinates. Northeast and uh, southwest. Very and exact. Northeast. Yeah, they're very exact. I mean, the right to the minute. Now, this is the second half of the message, which really makes us wonder, could all of this really be connected? The second string of numbers in the message is a series of coordinates. They point to a spot in the Atlantic Ocean, a few miles off the southwest coast of Ireland. It is the same area that is reputed to contain the mysterious island of High Brazil. Aha! Many stories about the island suggest that it was once home to a super race of advanced beings who flew through the air using magical chariots. Uh The island was filled with giant cattle and those who lived there were never short of food. These beings sound like creatures from folklore and mythology, but their powers could have another explanation. A spaceship or even an aeroplane could be seen as a magical chariot. Whilst modern farming methods mean that harvests are more abundant today than they were 2,000 years ago. Were these super beings on High Brazil the gods of Celtic mythology? Or were they perhaps, as Jim Penniston believes, a race of ancient astronauts? Travellers from the future who visited us at the dawn of time and are watching over us even now. Bum, bum, bum. So <laughs> how, do you, how do you like that? Woof. So we start with Nan Madal. 
which connects to the lost continent of Mew, which played out like a movie, really. When you think about the story we told, this this soldier who meets a ancient Hindu priest who gives him this ancient stone tablet that he deciphers and he finds the messages, which is just incredible to even think about. And then that goes to High Brazil, which ends up connecting to Rendlesham Forest and the zeros of one binary code message that Jim Pennington got. And hello, the coordinates pointed to High Brazil. Hello. I mean, this is wild. And that so many different people stumbled on this island and right. mapped it from the 1300s on up. So, I mean, is this place actually real? And if it was real, I mean, look, there are coordinates. If you believe the message, because there are skeptics, there are people who say in the, for, for, in the interest of full disclosure, because we never want to be you know, completely one-sided here. We always want you to make up your own mind. There are people who say that Pennington um, completely fabricated that entire notebook. Okay, there are people who doubt that it was oh. even real. That How he, did you fabricate binary code? I don't know. But that has just, words and letters back in the what, 80s? I don't know. I don't know. That makes no but sense. people say that it was totally fabricated and he made it all up for the TV special they were doing. Those are, That's what the skeptics say, okay? But if you think something else, then by all means, go ahead and, and you make up your own mind on that. But you're talking about this this binary code that translated into an actual message that gave actual coordinates to a lost civilization that people think was just Irish folklore. But these coordinates from a binary code message say it's real. And they told them exactly where it was. And supposedly, according to the Irish folklore, the gods, in quotes, lived there and on their flying machines. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Mind blown. Mind blown. Dots connected. Woof. Unbelievable. Love it. <laughs> Love it. This was a good one. Oh, my gosh. We went my down God. the giant black rabbit hole. Yeah, exactly. So my, I, my mind is blown, so I can't imagine how you feel. But well, yeah. and just in time for war in Europe, hopefully, we're going to talk about what? Hopefully not. Hopefully that's all avoided, but it really does uh, time out nicely because in my studies here, Karen, of the lost lands of ancient civilizations, I also came across the lost land of something called Thule. And, well, guess what? Is that, that with two U's? Uh, one U. One U. And that connected T-H-U-L-E. Okay. Um, but that actually connects to a subject that I've been wanting to cover for a long time. We've hinted at it in previous episodes. We've kind of glanced over it. And that is Nazis mm. and aliens and their studies of UFOs. And Are we going to get into the Nazi bell? I, we might. We might. But it all connects. It kind of connects to what we did here today a little bit, but it all connects because of current events as well with, uh, well, like you said, war in Europe again. But again, we'll see how it all plays out and we'll see how next week's episode of UAP plays out when we do, again, uh, well, Nazis and aliens. How, how, what were they trying to do there? Searching for lost lands and the different things that they may or may not have built. It's it's actually quite fascinating and scary, really. But it really we'll, is. We'll get into all that next week when we fall down that rabbit hole. But until then, make sure to check out all the previous episodes on Apple, Spotify, and 850wftl.com, where you can find the UAP blog. And you can see everything, follow along with everything that we talked about today with all the lost lands and coordinates and the maps and all that good stuff. And the people of Mew, they're freaky looking. <laughs> telling you to take a look there. And follow along on Twitter, too, at UAPodcast850 on Twitter. But we'll talk to you again next time on the Unidentified Alien Podcast. It's Karen Curtis over there, Stephen Diener over here. Make sure to rate us with five extraterrestrial stars. Ooh, uh, we'll talk to you again next time. Thank you.